Scene 3. Howdy, said the man in plaid, Mac King. Read by Joshua Stenkamp, following original audio recording. If you've ever been to Vegas, walking into a casino can be an adventure unto itself. The floor was busy with people gambling, drinking, and enjoying the Las Vegas experience to the fullest. Ten minutes of wandering around looking for the theater led me to a massive set of escalators. Three floors later, the Matt King Theater was staring me in the face. With my ticket in hand, I was escorted to my seat, a booth with a great view of the stage. Center stage was filled by a backdrop and a lovely shade of plaid, quite literally setting the stage for the show we were about to experience. Mac enters the stage wearing a suit made of the identical plaid pattern as the backdrop. The show began with his customary, howdy, I'm Mac King. Laughter and wonder commence. It is truly amazing what one man can do with some rope, goldfish, a guinea pig, and an unhealthy obsession with Fig Newtons. Hand down, Mac's show is one of the best on the strip, and one of the best hours I've spent in Vegas. After the show, I made my way to the meet-and-greet area and introduced myself. He invited me backstage so we could do the interview before his next show. Photo after photo of past performers lined the hallways leading to Mac's dressing room. I sat on a small couch with stage clothes occupying one side. Mac took a seat in his makeup chair. Setting up the recorders, I couldn't help but notice the obscene number of Fig Newtons surrounding us. Uh, interview with Matt King. How are you doing, Matt? Who? I said, how Oh, Matt King. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm great. Uh, thanks for sitting through the show. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, so just a couple questions. We just kind of talk until you have to leave. Um, start off pretty simple, pretty easy. Uh, I asked stupid questions to begin with. Uh, boxer briefs or full commando? Uh, boxer briefs, actually. Boxer briefs. Yeah. Rudy Colby said the same thing. Oh, so. yeah? Awesome. Yeah, you want to see? <laughs> He's taking his pants off right now. Yeah. And there he is. It is a... Uh, yeah, so they go down to about here. But nice. Good. I think I'm wearing the same style. Yeah, so... They're popular. Yeah. Me and you are... Do you have a guinea pig in yours? No, I don't have a guinea okay. pig in mine. <laughs> All right. Uh, first question, I guess, is uh, what got you started in magic? How did you get your start? Um... Both my grandfathers knew a couple little tricks. I mean, my uh, dad's dad taught me when I was like five. I mean, I have a very vivid recollection, actually, of him sitting me up on his kitchen counter. Uh, he lived in an honest-to-God log house, uh, and it's still standing. And if you go on Google, you can see it from, the, you know. <laughs> uh, so I have him put me on the, ca on the uh, counter and uh, taking out his pocket handkerchief and wrapping up a kitchen match. You know, he had to light his stove with a match. That's how long ago it was. And uh, he w wrapped that up in there, and I broke that match, and I could feel it break, and I heard it snap inside the handkerchief, and then I unfolded the handkerchief, and bam, that match was whole. And I was like, you know, even at five, I was like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, and uh, so, uh, so he did that for me, and then he taught me how that how to do that trick. So that was the very first trick I ever learned. And that, then my mom's dad uh, actually uh, had a couple of magic books at his house, and I still have some of those. Uh, my one of my favorite books, Henry Hayes, uh, Learn Magic, and he's known for Amateur Magician's Handbook, but. An earlier book he wrote was called Learn Magic, and it was like lessons in magic. And it was that's still one of my favorite books. I still refer to it. And there's a little drawing in there that kind of changed my life. There's uh, him. I'm 
doing this uh, uh, visually. <laughs> there's a drawing of how to put one coin, a coin from one hand into the other, and so there's a drawing of you doing it like this. And then there's another drawing of, of you doing it like that. And that's sort of an illustration of how to make. And so when I, so the the first one, your elbows are touching your sides, and your, you know, the coin is edge on to the audience. And so it's fine for doing it, doing it if you're doing it to show one person that you put one coin from one hand to the other. But if you're showing 500 people and you turn their side to the audience and hold up your left hand palm facing the audience, and then you show the coin full on to the audience and put it in the palm. Everybody can see you do that. And so I, that, that sort of, those two drawings sort of changed my life in that I'm doing a close-up magic show for 500, 600 people uh, because of that drawing. When you, um, what was one of the, the first major performances that you've that you said that you kind of went. Uh, I I, the, the first level. major, I mean, I you know, I don't know. I did a show. The, the first show I remember doing was for um, one of the Herbert girls' birthday party, <laughs> and I, I think I got five bucks in cake. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I used to. I couldn't find it when we just moved. I don't know where it is. It's probably in a filing cabinet. But I used to have a copy of this. The first time I got paid by check. For a show, thirty bucks, and uh, for the Greenville Kiwanis Club in Greenville, Kentucky, and I still had that check, and I got thirty bucks, but no cake. Uh, <laughs> it's better; you can buy more cake. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Matt King, when you're on stage, did, did you develop a character? Because I was talking when I talked to Rudy Kobe about Lab Man and how he created that. Do you have a character on stage, or is that Matt King? Is that I think you? every you know every bit of that on stage is me really uh, amplified maybe some or certainly some uh, I mean I started uh, you know when I was a little kid the first magic show I did was you know I, the only thing you know when you're 10 years old is the sort of the stereotypical magician you know <laughs> suave you know and I so I had like a s silk act and I would do this act to music and produce handkerchiefs and, it was crappy, but it was. But then I started started doing this thing where uh, I wore a Viking helmet and said, "I don't don't ask me why," uh, but I said I was from Belgium and with a Viking helmet, and I spoke with a funny accent, and so I did have a real distinct character, you know, in quotes character, mm -hmm. and and I did that for a number of years. And then Andy Kaufman showed up with his foreign man guy on TV, and people started saying, "Oh, that's funny. That's like Andy Kaufman." I'm like, Fuck, I had that before Andy <laughs> Kaufman, but he was way famous, so it didn't matter. Uh, so uh, I started doing as myself, really, and just a little more amplified. And so, I mean. I, yeah, I mean, there's a there's some character things. I mean, a goofy suit kind of, but you know, I mean, I'm not a great dresser anyway. So, but I so I'm just kind of playing myself, but just more amplified. So I don't have a character character. Uh, you know, 
the I mean I do, but it's me. It's and and I think part of that character is um, I am secretly smart. I want people by the end of the show to feel different about me than they do at the beginning. And and I think that that's the case with any human being. You know, the more you are around them, the more you know about them, and hopefully, the more you like them, the better you know them, uh, and or that you like them better, the more you know them. And so, and I think part of it for me is I want people to go on like a little journey. I want people to not be sure whether I'm going to be good, not be sure whether. Uh, you know they waste they're going to be wasting the next hour and whether or not I'm an idiot and by the end of the show they're pretty convinced that I'm not an idiot and that I've been you know kind of fucking with them the whole time <laughs> when writing cuz i mean your your whole show is full of of, of jokes and, and great magic did you how f- different has this show let me try to rephrase this i lost my book that I had all my questions. Uh-huh. Uh, so, well, I think I know what you're getting at. Has your, has your show gone through a journey? Has it transformed oh, yeah, from your first show? Yeah, to yeah. Now? but I think my show is like a, it's it's another piece of evidence for, just kick that off on the ground if you want. Those are getting ready to be washed, so they're okay. You can just put them on the ground. Um, I think my show is another little piece of evidence in favor of evolution as opposed to creation. <laughs> uh because it wasn't created the way it is. It was, it's evolved from almost nothing over time to something much greater than it would have if I had tried to sit down and write a, an entire magic show. So you start out with just a tidbit? Yeah, I started out with a little tidbit. I mean, my show, when I was like 17 or 18, my show was uh, George Sand's Rope Routine and Terry Seabrook's Burnt Bill trick. Those two tricks were my act. It was about a 15-minute, 20-minute show that I had at that point. And, uh, and those things are still the opening and closing, really, and of my show. Yeah. Uh, but the rope routine is, you know, now there's a lot of stuff that's mine and not George Sands. And the money routine, there's a lot of stuff that's mine that's not Terry Seabrook's. And, but I didn't... You know, I mean, I started doing that word for word the way they were in the tricks that I bought. And over the course of time, you know, especially, you know, around a little later than that, like in my early 20s, I started comedy clubs started springing up around the U.S. outside of New York and L.A. And uh, so I, I started working those clubs as a middle act. And so... One of the advantages for me, I mean, every night I was watching great comics and seeing how they structured their shows and how hard, you know, one of the things that you do is, you know, if you're on the road doing comedy clubs, you're staying, a lot of these places put you in a condo in an apartment and all the acts are there. And so it was great for me to see how how these comics work on their act. You know, every, every night they audio record it and... Then the next day they listen and change a word or two the next night, and you know. And so I s- sort of just took that sort of model for me. And also working those clubs. I mean, you were talking about. I mean, it's flattering and nice what you said uh, that there's 
a lot of jokes. Because um, I really am trying to be, I mean, you know, I mean, you, I know you've talked to Amazing Jonathan, and he's like a really great stand-up comic, and I think he wouldn't argue that he's not a great magician. Oh, he, he says it on... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah he, I, I would he say he said he is he is a comic that yeah. dabbles in magic. Yeah, <laughs> and I I mean I'm and I'm trying to do both really, you know, as powerfully as I can. I'm trying to get as many laughs as I can and as and fool you as badly as I can. Um, and both are kind of equally important to me. And and so I think that's kind of my niche really. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know of anybody any other stand-up comedy magicians who have like Twenty body loads and yeah, you know, especially all with all the, the Fig Newton. Yeah, and, no, and which just is, um, which yeah, I love I because yeah, but I mean it's yeah. So there's sort of like some weird sort of like manipulation stuff, you know, like where there's stuff hanging in my coat that I steal, and you know, I mean, not too many comedy magicians kind of really do that kind of magic. So, uh, so but working in those clubs, I mean, you know, one of the things about getting booked back is. You know, if you're if you're just fooling people, they you're not gonna make it to the head to a headliner spot in those clubs. You have to be getting laughs, you know. And oftentimes I found that the people who book the rooms or the managers who are in charge and say, Hey, let's get Matt King back, he was great, don't even see the show sometimes. They're in the office counting money or ordering beer or whatever and but they can hear. And what they hear is laughs, and how often those laughs come. And so I really wanted to, you know, not ha not have too much too many gaps between the laughs. But right now we're just we're we're talking right before you have another show to do. One of the things that I find interesting is: were you do you ever get nervous? Do you have those that that spike of energy before you step on stage? Uh, or is it, it's like a zen not too much. I mean, every now and again, it depends. On, for me, it depends on the context. I mean, you know, like doing like a TV show. If you're on Letter, if I'm on Letterman, and standing back there, or just you know the whole day, just crazy nervous the whole <laughs> day. Uh, or if I know in in the live show at Harris, uh, if somebody's that I really want to impress is in the audience, um, then some you know I get a little extra nervous or. Do you do but, anything to calm yourself down? No, I mean I don't get that nervous. No, and I mean I just do so many. You know, I mean I'm doing ten shows a week, you know, forty eight weeks a year. So it's just second nature. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't you know so there's there's almost no nerves and you know it's just when when I'm doing something brand new too and whether that's a trick or a venue you know when I do corporate shows. And it's like a one-off thing, and you know the conditions are not. I'm so used to this stage and the way the audience is, and the where this everything is, and how they're going to react. And so I'm pretty comfy. But but when it's a different show that I haven't done before, I mean, I mean, I'm still doing the same tricks, but the, just the audience. I'm not sure of the makeup or whatever. Then it's then I get a little nervous, but. I don't have any like rituals or whatever to calm down. Did you have any idols growing up? Anybody that was in fame? John, amazing Jonathan. And I talked about Chaplin and some of the great. So did you have anybody that you? Yeah, he reminds me of to? Charlie Chaplin, doesn't he? You? A little bit, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, I, um, I, you know, I mean, as a kid, I really, I mean, you know, high school, junior high, I really liked Monty Python a lot. I. Um, 
I, uh, but it, once I started sort of getting into magic, there were some magic guys that I really idolized. Uh, a guy named Roy Benson, um, and you can see some YouTube stuff of him. Um, Billy McComb and Jay Marshall, both of those guys were kind of what I wanted to be. I mean, all three of those guys, I mean, funny and really great magic. So those were, but I didn't have any like stand-up comedy idols. I mean, I uh, Richard Pryor, but my accent a little different than his. <laughs> Just a dash. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you ever performed at the castle? Many times. Many times. Yeah. I mean, I used to. I mean, it used to be a big part of my income when I first moved. I, fr I first moved to L.A. Uh, in like '81 or two. And was was that something that you? really always wanted to do it oh yeah of course yeah I wanted to do yeah I mean it and and I, I worked there before I moved there and then I moved there because I mean like a lot of people because it was there and then uh, yeah no shoot I mean I used to be nominated for parlor magician of the year about every year never won and then in 2000 something I don't know it's on the wall out there three or something six I don't know I got magician of the year from the castle nice. so uh, but so now I can't win any of those other awards. Once they give you that, they, really, they, they can't give you win one any award, of those voted awards. Oh. Yeah, that you can't get any of that. So, so I'll never, be, I'll never get, I'll never actually win a voted award now. So, tonight when the lady wrote her name on the opposite side of the card, which was yep, a great, that was a gold piece. Yeah, yeah, and that actually the first time that happened was at the castle, uh, in the uh, palace of mystery, and so that I mean I don't know how many years ago. It happens to all of us, all magicians. Someone writes on the back of the card. Yeah, but I mean, I tried. I mean, the, after the first time, it was so funny, and I had, you know, I had, I don't know, I've learned over the years to how to react to it and how to, you know, sort of guide her to it happening. It's about 70% or for people for me. Yeah, for me. And, and I, you know, I mean, I don't tell her to do it. I mean, I could make it 100%, but I don't secretly tell her to do it because then, then she could rat me out and <laughs> tell me I'm a, you know, let everybody know I'm a dick. You told me to. Oh, yeah. Well, that wouldn't, that's not as funny if I tell you to and then act like it's an accident. <laughs> um, if anything on stage, have you ever had anything break? Anything go completely wrong? Oh, yeah. Horrible. Yeah, everything. Did anything. You do, do you keep anything on stage that if something completely horrible goes wrong, you can grab that and do something or do you just, just brush it off? couple jokes and move on to the next uh, one? It depends. I mean, there's so, I mean, I already have so much, you know, so it's not like I'm just going to, that there's, that if I can't do one bit that the show's over, uh, there's, you know, there's lots of tricks. So, um, the, uh, the worst one of those something breaking was, um, so I do this Elvis and Liberace switch at the end. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, there's a guy, Josh, who was just walking through here, who uh, puts on a Mac King suit and pretends to be me at part in, during part of that. And so when the switch is supposed to occur, I say the verbal cue, do the physical cue, when he's supposed to take over my position, and he's not there. And so I go, uh, excuse me, I... Uh, 
I, you guys didn't understand. When I say, this is what I said to the audience, when I say the gold lame cloak of, you all have to say out loud, Elvis and Liberace. Thinking, okay, he just wasn't there in time, but now I've killed the whole I've, audience to I've say I've it. Killed, yeah, I've killed, a, you know, 30 seconds, giving him time to, you know, maybe the shoe, he couldn't get his shoe on, or whatever, who knows. So I say the gold lame cloak of, and everybody goes, Elvis and Liberace! And he's still not there. And then I hear a voice <laughs> backstage go, just a minute. Wait a minute. All right. And so <laughs> get ready to do the whole exact thing again. And I said, no, you can do it louder. Come on. Elvis and Liberace. Still not there. And I go, are we doing this? I'm telling, I'm telling on you. I say, are we doing this trick? And no answer. So I'm going, all right. Well, uh, and then I... Do uh, give the guys watch back and produce a drink and go on. And I'm running up the the aisle at the end of the show to less than normal applause. <laughs> and uh, I say to the mater d, that motherfucker better broke his leg. <laughs> Did you break your leg? Broke my ankle. You broke yeah. your ankle. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So he. Because uh... th those shoes don't look like they're very uh, nice to run in. I don't think it was these shoes. The, the shoes you, they had rubber treads on the bottom of the shoes. Was, that we were... uh, I'm pretty sure it was these brown ones. Oh, oh, no, I bet it was. No. So It was the blue and tan ones. Yeah. That's what happened. It was the rubber that gripped. Yeah, so he was, he was running late, jumped up a set of stairs, and his feet caught, and rolled. so rolled his ankle. And, that, uh, I've, I've heard stories from other magicians of people, you know, locking the sub trunk and not being able to get out and banging on it. Can't get out. For the switch and yeah so yeah. he was there uh sprawled on the floor back there with the medical a crew yeah it's that was done. great so that's so that's the uh that's the most uh breakable thing most the most uh you know tragic break the thing that broke in the show yeah world's greatest magic when you did that did you consider that a, a milestone uh, yeah, it's great. I remember watching it as a kid. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I can't King tell you. Guy, I still, <laughs> still have people come up and say, you know, you got me interested in magic because of those World's Greatest Magic TV shows. And uh, last one, I guess. All right. Uh, what advice do you have to your younger self when you were getting into magic? If you were to give advice to your younger self now, what would you say? Hmm. More advice, the real advice to my younger self is really, uh, I mean, uh, man, I'm so happy with how everything has gone so far. I mean, there was so many, you know, stuff that you would go, oh, that's a struggle. I mean, that was horrible. That was, but none of it seemed, I mean, you know, it seemed horrible at the time, but, but then you just, next day, you just go do another show. And so, it, you know, just, Keep remembering it's you know it's all gonna be okay, it's gonna dude. Pay off it's all gonna be okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Hey, no, it's, it's a short interview. Yeah. it's not very long. It's uh, I've got thirty people, and that's Matt King. And if you have not seen his show, go to Harris and watch it. My brother is gonna be super jealous about this. Okay, go. After leaving Max's dressing room, I made my way back down to the main lobby of Harris, weaving through the gaming tables and throngs of people. 
Outside, the clouds were gathering ominously. It was dark, and the wind was picking up. Rare weather for Las Vegas. I wondered if it would affect my flight later that evening. Ready to get back home to Orlando, I grabbed a spot on a shuttle bound for McCarran Airport and reflected on what an amazing journey this idea had turned into. And it was just getting started. 